0: I don't know uh, how this is here in Australia, but uh, in the UK, state schools are required to provide daily collective worship. Now, this really surprised me. I only found this out when I was doing research for this sermon, but here's what it says on the official government website. All maintained schools must provide religious education and daily collective worship for all registered pupils and promote their spiritual, moral, and cultural development. And I was so surprised by this because when I was a child, uh, the schools were already moving in a very secular direction. Uh, We had assemblies, but uh, I remember our deputy head, instead of getting us to sing hymns, used to get us to sing Nowhere Man by the Beatles. Uh, I'm sure we sung other things, but I honestly can't remember singing anything else during school assemblies. I suspect it was the only thing he could play. So sung worship had been arbitrarily usurped by Nowhere Man. And just listen to some of the lyrics. I'm not going to try and sing them. I'm not Paul McCartney, but... um, here are the lyrics. He's a real nowhere man, sitting in his nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody. Doesn't have a point of view, knows not where he's going to. Isn't he a bit like you and me? And it goes on. He's as blind as he can be, just sees what he wants to see. You couldn't have a more fitting set of lyrics for a secular agenda divorced from the truth and solid foundations of Christianity. But if you videoed one of those assemblies and played it back without sound, it would look like an act of worship. You'd be forgiven for thinking that it was. And it was supposed to be, but someone had decided to remove God from the worship. And what do you end up with? Well, you end up with nowhere man. It really was a case of going through the motions. But you know that God can also get pushed out of Christian worship. There might be nothing wrong with the songs or the lyrics or the prayers, but you can have a situation where a church or individuals within a church are really just going through the motions. Worship is about glorifying God about encountering God and being changed by that encounter if worship doesn't change us it's not true worship and the complaint that Amos had was this Israel had pushed God out of their worship so they didn't glorify God they didn't encounter God and they weren't changed by God uh, they had their festivals, they made their sacrifices, they sung their songs of praise, but it didn't make any difference. Their society, their nation was terribly sick, full of greed, violence, injustice and oppression and that's what we're going to hear about today. So uh, Amos was a farmer, he had sheep and cattle and fig trees and he lived in a place called Tekoa which was on the border between the uh, northern and southern kingdoms. You remember that after the reign of King Solomon, the kingdom of Israel split in two. You had Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Well, Amos lived in Judah to the south, uh, but really close to the border with Israel to the north. And God sent Amos north to a place called Bethel to announce God's verdict on Israel's conduct. Uh, Bethel was one of two important centers of idol worship. Uh, When the kingdom of Israel split, Jerusalem and the temple ended up in the southern kingdom. So in the northern kingdom, they set up two alternative centers of worship to rival the Jerusalem temple, namely Bethel, where Amos was sent to, and Gilgal, which you may have heard of. And they set up a golden calf in each of those places, which they worshiped. And their idolatry from there just went from bad to worse. Uh, Amos was sent to Bethel during the reign of King Jeroboam II. And we heard about him a couple of weeks ago because he reigned during the time of the prophet Hosea. So Hosea and Amos were contemporaries. They were around a, a, a similar sort of time. And it was a prosperous time where society was enjoying a period of ease and luxury nevertheless there was serious unrest on Israel's borders and there was the ever-increasing menace from the hugely powerful Assyrian empire which cast a a shadow over the uh, kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom. So what was Amos's message? Well like Joel who we heard about last week he talked about the day of the Lord. Uh, This was a day that the Israelites were looking forward to, a day when God would defeat all their enemies, elevate them to a position of prominence in the world, and liberate them from the fear of invading armies and oppressive powers. And here's what Amos had to say about that day. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. In other words, this day that you're so looking forward to is not going to be good news for you at all because God's judgment is coming upon you. And the reason that Amos gave for this impending judgment is basically religious hypocrisy. Israel had all the outward signs of worship, uh, and yet they were promoting injustice within their society. Uh, They were also guilty of idolatry, worshipping other gods, and Amos does pick up on that, but uh, he focuses more on Israel's violence and injustice. He says, look, you're observing these religious festivals whilst at the same time ignoring and worsening the plight of the poor, and God hates that. And here's what Amos announced, and these are God's words, "'I hate, I despise your religious festivals. "'Your assemblies are a stench to me.'" Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, uh, I wasn't allowed to say that I hated anything. Uh, Hate was almost like a swear word. I'd say, I hate Brussels sprouts. No, you dislike Brussels sprouts. I remember my mum was once talking to uh, a neighbour and I heard the neighbour say, I hate her guts. I didn't hear anything else from the conversation. I, I, my ears pricked up when I heard that. I thought, that is really bad. And of course that is bad. We're not to hate anyone. Jesus taught us to love even our enemies. But hatred as a word and as an emotion is not necessarily wrong. It is not wrong to hate sin God hates sin. And God hated the religious festivals that he had instituted because people were basically just going through the motions. Their worship had no impact on the way they lived their lives and it had no impact on society. And don't forget that this was a theocracy which means that uh, the religious authorities and the political authorities they were one and the same. And virtually everyone was engaged In worship. Just imagine that. I mean, I like to think that if everyone in Australia came to church every Sunday and worshiped God, it would have a hugely positive effect on our nation. But that wasn't the case with Israel. Everyone was engaged in worship, and they were morally bankrupt. Uh, One of the major issues uh, which Amos brings up is is something called debt slavery. Uh, Now, at its best, Uh, This was a system that enabled someone who was heavily in debt and couldn't pay their debt to then work that debt off over a specified period of time. Uh, But the system was being abused. It was like, okay, my I'm going to lend my uh, neighbor some money. I know that they won't be able to pay me back, so then uh, he'll have to be my slave together with all his family, and I'm going to keep him enslaved as long as I can to make a lot of money out of him. That's how people were behaving. And then they go to the temple, offer their sacrifices, raise their hands in worship, sing their songs of praise, and it was all a total sham. There was a complete disconnect between their worship and the way that people were treated in society. Uh, McConville put it like this. He said, God is denied and even blasphemed when there is a form of worship apart from the love of neighbor which desires to do justice. The people were holding religious festivals, they were offering their religious sacrifices, uh, really for the sake of it, because all the while they were completely ignoring God. They were really just going through the motions, and God was understandably angry. Why would God bless such blatant hypocrisy? So Israel were walking out from under God's umbrella of protection, abandoning God's ways, and then expecting God to bless them just because they were doing all this outward religious stuff. They were looking forward to the day of the Lord, but God says, no, if you choose the path of violence, oppression, and injustice, you will have to accept the consequences. I'm not going to protect you from Assyria. In fact, Assyria will be an instrument of judgment against you. And about 40 years later, after Israel had ample time to repent, uh, the, the northern kingdom was attacked and defeated by the Assyrians, and the people were carried off into exile. But Amos showed that if we truly seek God, we will automatically seek that which is good. In fact, for Amos, seeking God and seeking good is one and the same thing. In chapter 5, verse 4, God says, Seek me and live. And then in verse 14, Seek good, not evil, that you might live. Worshiping the true God of Israel is synonymous with doing good, with generosity and with justice. And it's still true for us today. We cannot separate the love of God from the love of others. And that includes uh, behaving in a way that is just and equitable. So the Israelites were holding religious festivals. We hold religious festivals, Lent, Easter, Christmas, Pentecost, and so on. Uh, We also hold gatherings every week, church services. Uh, The Israelites were singing songs of worship. We do that every time we come together as a church. Uh, We don't sacrifice animals because Jesus is our Passover lamb, our once and for all sacrifice. But we come together for worship, and that's what the Israelites were doing. But there's no point in doing any of this if we don't have a deep concern for what is right, good, just, and pure. If our worship doesn't change the way that we relate to our fellow human beings, it's meaningless. If we seem to be expressing love for God, but we're not expressing love for our neighbor, that's a good indication that we're going through the motions. Because if we truly love God, we will love others. We cannot be into our worship and indifferent about suffering and injustice. Injustice is a lack of fairness, and we see it globally, we see it nationally, and we see it in our everyday lives we see it globally. Uh, 10% of the world's population are living in extreme poverty. That means they're living on less than $1.90 a day. That's about $2.60 Australian. Uh, For the sake of comparison, I pulled up a a Starbucks menu, and the cheapest thing on the menu is a short latte at uh, $4. The most expensive item is a caramel macchiato venti at uh, well I think it's some sort of espresso I'm not a coffee expert but uh, you probably pay more for the snazzy Italian name but that came in at seven dollars two and a half times the amount that a sizable percentage of the population have to live on each day that doesn't strike me as very fair And it's not like the other 90% of the world population have plenty to live on. 40% of everyone in the world live on less than $5.50 per day. And sadly, because of the impact of COVID-19, these figures are likely to rise. Nationally, here in Australia, 13.6% of the population are living below the poverty line. Uh, That means they're bringing in less than half of an average income, and one in six Australian children are living below that poverty line. And you might say, well, what can I possibly do about any of that? It's all completely beyond my control. Well, the first thing we can do is care. We can care. The things that break God's heart ought to break our hearts as well. But then some Christians will be called into politics, into working for non-governmental organizations and other organizations that seek to help those who are poor and downtrodden and unjustly treated. And it's a wonderful calling for those who are called in those directions. But we also need to look locally because injustice is never very far away. Where do we see opportunities to confront injustice in our everyday lives? Just asking that question is a good place to start you know in amos's day the rich were enjoying their luxurious lifestyle and they had absolutely no regard for the poor the oppressed or the less fortunate does that sound familiar are we as a society deeply concerned for the plight of others i'm not sure whether we are uh, of course, there are a lot of exceptions. There are a lot of people who do care to varying degrees. The uh, guy who owns the gym that I go to was telling me uh, about a very uh, disturbed young man, a, a homeless man, who came asking if he could use a shower at the gym. And Darren, that's the owner, he uh, allowed this guy to use a shower on a regular basis. He uh, started taking him out for breakfast. And uh, he put him up in a local caravan park, paid for a little unit there, and was prepared to do that for the foreseeable future. Um, and when I spoke to Darren, I could see that he really cared. He really wanted to help. Uh, unfortunately, the, the young man was uh, um, had a lot of drug issues and mental health problems, and he didn't stay put uh, for very long. But Darren genuinely wanted to do the best that he could for that young man. Now, I don't think that Darren would say that he's a Christian. Christians don't have the monopoly on this, but Christians ought to lead the way. If we come to church and express our love for God, we should be the first and the most willing to express our love for other people. And there are lots of ways to express love, but uh, Amos focused on the people's concern, or rather their lack of concern for injustice. So let's stick with that. Uh, Where do we see injustice in the world around us. Uh, well, you may see poverty, not necessarily poverty per se, not necessarily extreme poverty, but you might uh, have a friend or a relative or a neighbor who is struggling financially, and you have the means to help out. Uh, it could be something very simple. It could be having them over for a meal. It could be doing a grocery shop for them once in a while. That just alleviates the pressure. Uh, it could be passing on children's clothes that have been Outgrown, but they're in good condition. Uh, It's a case of being mindful and looking for ways that we can support others, looking for ways to be mutually supportive. But what we don't do is come to church and worship God and then ignore the person who we know is struggling. Uh, Or you might see a homeless person. Don't just walk past them. Acknowledge them. Stop and have a chat with them. Ask them what they want what they need. Um, you might be surprised by the answer. It might be something like socks or pants or batteries or a toothbrush. Buy it for them. You might come across injustice in the workplace, uh, bullying of some kind. Bullying is not something that is limited to the school playground. It happens in places of work all the time. You could politely and firmly stand up for someone. Don't worry about how that will reflect on you. If someone's getting bullied, stand up for them. Or you might come across some other kind of discrimination. Racism, for example. Uh, and As we saw the other week, it's not good enough not to be racist. We need to be anti-racist. If we uh, see or hear something that isn't right, let's speak up. Speak out. Gossiping. That's a form of injustice, isn't it? It's not very fair for somebody to have uh, negative and defamatory things said about them when they're not even there to defend themselves. Uh, Don't engage in those kind of conversations. Uh, Don't ever say anything about someone that you haven't said to them. You might come across someone who's been unfairly treated by their family, perhaps an elderly neighbor who's been all but abandoned. Reach out to them, check in with them, see if there's some way that you can help. Jesus confronted injustice all the time, didn't he? He healed the sick and he raised the dead and he hung out with those who were rejected and despised. He saved a woman from being stoned to death from adultery by pointing out the injustice of it. He said, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. In other words, how dare you stone this woman for her sin when you yourselves are guilty of sin? Jesus stood up for people. Jesus stood up for what is just and right and good. How can we say that we're his followers if we don't do the same thing? What would you think of uh, someone who worshipped exuberantly in church? They were really into their worship, and then they walked past every homeless person they ever came across, didn't even look at them. They ditched their friend who was struggling financially because, well... It was all a bit awkward and they didn't want to hear about their problems all the time. They ignore the bullying that was taking place at work and they entered into gossipy conversations with other employees. And when they notice their elderly neighbor struggling, they say, that's terrible. His family ought to be ashamed of themselves, leaving him in that condition. And then they do nothing themselves to help that person. What would their worship be worth? What would their worship be worth? Injustice is all around us, and we do have the opportunity to confront it. Maybe not every day, but certainly on occasions. But the point is, for us, let's not come to church and worship God and then go into the world and do nothing. If we worship God and we love God, then we will care for the things that God cares about. Worship is not just about getting a positive vibe or an uplifting feeling. It's about glorifying God. It's about encountering God, and it's about being changed by that encounter. If worship doesn't change us; it's not true worship. And that's why God rejected the Israel's worship in Amos's day. They claimed to worship God. They claimed to love God, but they didn't love their neighbours. In fact, they did the opposite. They oppressed their neighbors. Their worship was all form, but no substance. For Amos, there is an inextricable link between seeking God and seeking that which is good, between loving God and loving our neighbors, between the way that we relate to God and the way that we relate to other people, particularly the poor, the vulnerable, and the downtrodden. It's not a case of either or we love jesus we love the church and we love the world let's pray heavenly father we pray that you will uh, break our hearts for the things that break yours and there are so many heartbreaking situations in the world in our nation and things that we come across uh, in our daily lives we pray, Father, that we will care deeply, and we know that we can't do everything for everyone, but help us, Lord, to make a difference. Help us to adjust injustice where we can in some small way. Help us to be mindful of this. And Father, we pray that our worship will glorify you, that we will encounter you, and we will be changed by you progressively over the course of our whole lives and we ask this in jesus name amen